This is episode 130 of G.I. Joeberg, the podcast where friends get together and talk about G.I. Joe in spite of being separated by continents, oceans, and time zones. My name is Stephen, and I'm joined by my partners in crime. Uh, Paul is not a T-Rex. So relieved. <laughs> Cujo on the West Coast, uh, and we're not alone. And Jimmy in the UK, third time lucky. Oh yeah. Our guest this evening is none other than Jim, the customizer extraordinaire. If you uh, don't know his work, then where have you been? <laughs> Jump on our G.I. Joeberg Facebook group and, uh, well, we should actually attach images of your latest creation to this podcast announcement because uh, they are intimately linked. Jim has had a rather fortuitous meeting this past week with someone extremely vital, uh, crucial, uh, inseparable from the Pally Toy Action Man line of toys, which is, of course, the UK little brother, if you want to call it that, to Hasbro's G.I. Joe. Sounds about right. Yeah. But before we get into that, we have a little bit of, I suppose, housekeeping to take care of from uh, episode 129, when we posed the question, who is your... G.I. Joe field commander, I suppose. Is it Duke or is it Flint? Just uh, between us, guys, I mean, who did you guys favor in our poll? The winner. <laughs> Stalker. Keeping it serious, yo. <laughs> okay, Stalker, smartass. Thanks, Jim. But between Duke and Flint, who, who's the boss? Kujo, what did you say? I think I went with Duke. If I remember to vote, and we should all remember to vote, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I think I went with Duke. Okay. As did I. I don't know. I mean, Flint's got all the charisma, but I've always thought of Duke as, you know, more of the authoritarian. Um, Flint's the kind of the, the, the cool field commander with swagger. But when it comes down to it, Duke calls the shots. Jim, where did you find yourself on the divide? I'd probably sit where who would you prefer as a boss? All right. Do you want to hang? You want to hang out with Duke all day, or do you want to hang out with Flint all day? It's got to be Flint. Right on. Right I need a boss on. that's humor. You got you know a bit of humor about him. Not an asshole like Duke. <laughs> Touche. Well, we put it out to the various social media platforms, i.e., Facebook and Twitter, and to date, it has been the closest poll we've ever hosted. Do you guys want the numbers? Before we do, I just want to say I like the guy that's a nice guy with a hint of arsehole. So that's Flint. That's why I chose Flint. Vote Flint for leader of G.I. Joe. Well, just like our poll, even the four of us are split right down the middle. So on Facebook, it's tallied 70 votes in the final analysis, 28 of which went to Duke and 42 went to Flint. So that was a 60-40 split, basically, with Flint getting 60% of the votes. Twitter told a different story. Kujo, I didn't realize that you actually put up the poll along with the episode announcement. So a couple of days later, I kind of did another poll. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to count both results just out of fairness to everyone who voted either on one or the other or voted twice. 
because uh, hopefully they didn't change their mind and kind of cancel their own votes. Very, sorry, it's a very clinical way of, you know, create. Oh, it's a very clinical way of um, instituting the democratic process. I mean, you have to vote three times just to make sure you're sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> But what was interesting to me was that Twitter had the same result, more or less the same result both times. Okay, the first poll received 35 votes, with Duke receiving 25 of those 35 votes, putting him in the clear lead with 71% of the votes. The second time the poll went up on Twitter, there were 56 votes, so even more people voted that time, uh, and Duke slid back a little bit, but he still managed to get 61% of the votes to Flint's 39% of the votes. What I then did, dear listeners, if you're still with me and I haven't put you to sleep with all this talk of number crunching, I took all the votes and did a grand total. So out of 161 votes, Flint received 74 and Duke received 87. Mm. What? It's very close, but yes, Duke has edged out everybody's favorite warrant officer and helicopter jockey. Well, clearly not everybody's favorite. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot to be said for the way Duke was presented, perhaps. I mean, he was there first. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, Hawk was there first, but that was purely in comic book medium. Well, which guy do you think would be the coolest under fire? Because, like, like, you need Sergeant Slaughter to yell at people, but your commander isn't necessarily that guy. He's got to keep people cool, you know? So is that Duke or is that Flint? It's Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's only one guy who's rocking the American flag on his arm. Come on, that's got to count for something in the leadership stakes. Oh, it does. <laughs> Either that or a sticky patch where an American flag used to be. <laughs> well, he, you know, he abides by uh, the sort of UN standards. <laughs> you have to fly his flag. So. I suppose uh, that's why Flint then spoke to a more international clientele. I mean, Action Force adopted Flint more as your kind of front and center leadership dude. Is that not so, Jim? He, yeah, he was the... Uh pretty much the main character for the the whole of the 50 issue weekly run and probably i think he even stretched into the the action force monthly which was the gi joe uh, european missions yeah he was mm. character numero uno not just in leadership and to my recollection duke was played in the action force comic books as a yank anyway there's something yeah, undeniably yeah, all american about duke <laughs> He was in the Battle Action Force. Oh right. Okay. I don't even know if he, if he ever appeared in the in the uh, sort of um, UK not rewrites the sort of UK segments of the Marvel UK Action Force. Quite possible comic. that the action figure was a distant memory by then. In fact, That's to my right. mind, yeah, right. was the Duke carded action figure ever released in Europe? Mm. Yes, he was. As oh. In the yeah, in the in the iteration that was around the Battle Action Force comic. Okay. So the so the um 
the red and blue packaging rather than the one with the converted G.I. Joe tricolor logo. Oh, right. You know, you know the ones I yeah, mean? The with the yellow voice. AF sign. Yeah, yes. it came in that series. Mm. Nice segue. <laughs> Jimmy? Yes. Tell us, brother. I mean, the, this episode is you basically yours, man. I want your tale. How did you get in cahoots with Mr. Pally Toy himself? Would you say his name's Bob Brechin? Brechin? Bob Brechin. Brechin, thank you. Sorry. Yes. I've only ever seen his name written. <laughs> yes, Mr. Bob Brechin. So, for folks that don't know, he was essentially, he was a designer at Palitoy uh, who produced the the um, original Action Force figures and he was there from sort of 1967 to 1984 so he was there right through all the Action Man stuff that they produced he was you know he was like the lead designer on all of that in fact the when the G.I. Joe figure converted to the action man figure bob bob was of head was was leading the uh the process of changing it and the uh what they called in the states the kung fu grip mm-hmm. they called it the gripping hand in the uk and that was bob's hand that he sculpted it was a a four version of his own hand which became that little rubber grippy hand mm. oh. hopefully he did not have a uh deformed thumb <laughs> with the nail on the wrong side. <laughs> I suppose that, that feature wasn't apparent on the Kung Fu or gripping hand um, design in any case. Did they correct that by then? Oh, I don't know. Well, one of the most fascinating aspects of the toys that made us G.I. Joe special was the all-important uh, feature of, of early Hasbro G.I. Joe action figures or dolls, whatever you want to call them, that being the sort of the, the reversed uh, thumbnail. Oh, I didn't know that. This is sort of a copyright protection. Yeah. Oh, man, I couldn't punt I've that, that TV this. series hard enough. If you do have access to Netflix, the toys that made us, G.I. Joe special, while it won't... Uh, I mean, to people listening to this podcast, a lot of the information will be pretty common knowledge. Um, it's mm. still a very, very tastily packaged and... Uh, and succinct way of, of, of basically bringing us up to date on where we are now with G.I. Joe, where it's come from. Mm. Who doesn't have Netflix? I don't <sighs> have Netflix, Joe. <laughs> A.K.A. Uh, the devil. What I wanted to say was... Uh, boy, yeah. What, what I, yeah, I was going to say, because that um, whole thing with the reverse thumb was at one point a bit of a myth. Um, it wasn't like an official thing. But I think um, I think toys that the toys that made it that made us kind of made it official. So if it was, you know, if if it's just very savvy marketing on Hasbro's part, um, you know, they're a very good cover up. Then well done. But I remember there being quite a lot of controversy, uh, controversy should I say, over that thumb. I I read it in a toy fair, uh, wow, years ago, and yeah, toys that made us sort of brought it back to to the surface of my mind. So. Anyway, I just wanted to throw in two cents there for that. Because, Let's bring it hey, back Kent, to Pally Toy. Yeah. Yes. 
So he was responsible for that that period where it switched over. Was he also responsible for the the unique designs to the Pally Toy Action Man line, like the sort of the sports figures? I seem to remember football Action Man figurines, uh, Action Man figurines that emulated British soldiers as opposed to you know what the Americans were getting, which were the Marines, the Navy men, um, Air Force guys. He was, yeah. He came oh, on, brilliant, sort of in um, the late '60s, mm-hmm. and yeah, he he said some of the first projects he worked on were the sports stuff. So he he may, I think he designed oh, the cricketer <laughs> and the football kit, and he said he he even did a a concept piece, like a, a prototype for a go kart, oh. but he made it out of brass rods. And then they sort of, I think, for some reason, the military was much more popular here in the UK. I guess the US Joes went the other way, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Away from the Adventure military. Team. Toward it. Yeah. In the UK, obviously, it's, it's more of a bloodlust, I guess. <laughs> they went to more war, not less. Oh, you guys were, you were a little closer to, to the front lines, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Right in the middle of the cold war. The Iron Curtain was that much closer. Cycles. (laughs) So yeah, he he moved on to the military stuff, and they sort they wanted a much more British. Oh, and of course uh, you guys won in the Falklands, whereas you know, we all remember what uh, what happened to the United States in Vietnam. So you know, I think yeah, absolutely, bloodlust was all all time high. (laughs) Well, this was a good ten years before the Falklands. Oh, oh, we're just gearing up for it. Damn. So yeah, he he sort of instituted the the move toward a more British flavour. So where sort of the they'd previously had the um, the GI Joe Willie's Jeep, the, um, Bob helped design the Land the Rover? Action Man Land Rover. No yeah. way. Well, you know my point and, of interest is always with the vehicles, and uh, I can't wait till we get into the three and three quarter inch stuff. But please continue. <laughs> I mean, this is all important context. We need to do this chronologically because this man, he's definitely part of the furniture and has been for a good chunk of time. Mm. Yeah, Mm. and the Scorpion tank as well was his. Remember that, the little British sort of light armored tank. Mm. Wow, Wow, that's some, some amazing engineering, really. I am speaking beyond my ken, of course. You know, don't do the dollies, but uh, credit where credit's due. This guy's good. What he said, it sort of reminded me of, um, I listened to an interview, I think it might have been Ron Ruder or Guy Cassidy, maybe on the Joe Declassified podcast, mm-hmm. where they were talking about where they'd, they'd actually go out and meet members of the military on bases. They'd get invited out to drive around in vehicles and take pictures and sketch actual military hardware. And Bob was saying that they got to do the same as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he saw like the the UK were developing a 105mm light artillery gun and he saw it in the paper. It hadn't been, you know, there. it wasn't, hadn't got into service yet. And so he rang up the MOD and, yeah, got invited over to the Arsenal where they were developing this. Got to sort of play around with it with the guys from the the uh, the army there and take photos and that. And it turned out that Palatoy actually released the Action Man version of it before the British Army got their official release <laughs> with it. 
so yeah Ooh. there was a lot of, a lot of research which went into their designs which you know seemed to seem to be lacking in the later years of joe didn't it where did this conversation go down like oh, were you guys like chilling at a, a pub that. Well, no, basically, we've got a, a museum of childhood in our village, which is a big old stately home. And attached to it is this museum, which is kind of half sort of the history of childhood and half toy museum. Uh, my wife used to work there as a collections manager, and I still do bits of work for them as a, as a carpenter. Hmm. And so I was over there pricing a job up. And one of the um, people from collections said, because they obviously know that I'm into this geeky side. She said, oh, we've got the guy from Palatoy who, you know, designed the hand. And I was like, what, Bob Rican? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's, he's, he's coming over to talk about possibly putting on a Palatoy exhibition. I was like, what? Oh, wow, that's great. Coming to the village. So I live, obviously, 100 yards from this place. <laughs> obviously. So I go home and I tell to, say to my wife, oh, did you know Bob Regan's coming to the museum? She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know all about that. Said, oh, and she says, he's bringing a friend with him who wants to come and see one of her heritage projects. And she said uh, it, that he told her that Bob wouldn't want to go and see that because it bore him to tears. So I told him that you can hang around with my husband if you want to talk toys. I was like, what? You've arranged me for me to meet Bob. That's... And so it kind of, we left it at that for a while. I contacted Chris McLeod because he, he actually knows Bob quite well. And I said, I sort of told him about this. And I said, does, does Bob actually like still talking about this stuff? Because I didn't want to come across as a weird fanboy going, Bob, Bob, can I talk about Action Force with you? And he's like, uh, yeah, sure. But yeah, Chris said he apparently loves still talking about it. And so I said to him, would he, would he appreciate it if I made him a custom? Or would I seem a bit creepy hanging, handing this guy over a gift that I've made? I've never met him. And he said, when Kate, you know, Chris's wife, made that one to six scale robo skull, he absolutely blew his mind. So he said, yeah, he'd love that. No, so I so thought, what would make a great custom for Bob that'd be quite personal? And I thought, something that he's designed. And so I went with a red shadow. Now, I've beavered away making this custom for him over the past maybe, I don't know, eight, six or eight weeks. And I finally got to meet him the other day when they came to the village. My wife took his mate down to her heritage project and I took Bob to a local coffee shop. We sat down and showed him the custom and then got chatting. What was his reaction to the custom? At first, I think he thought I'd just brought it to show him. Oh. <laughs> so it like, sat on the table and I think he just thought, oh, that's, that's great, that's wonderful, thanks. <laughs> And then at the, obviously at the end of the chat, I was like, okay, Bob, I'll just, I'll package this up for you again. And he's like, oh, what, it's, it's for me? Oh. Yeah, of course. So I think he was, yeah, he was, he was touched at the end. But um, at first he thought I was just 
I brought my toys to show him. <laughs> <laughs> As you do, you know, two guys sit down in a coffee shop and pull out their G.I. Joes and Action Force figures, customs and whatnot. We <laughs> did. No doubt. So once he realized that it was for him, was it all smiles? I did pretty well. Yeah, it was. Oh, like really? I said, I got, got a little cuddle with him at the end, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so I got to sit down for an, a good hour and a half and he drops <coughs> Palatoy history on me. Hmm. Let's shift focus. I mean, we, we, we opened this conversation talking about the, you know, the 12-inch stuff. Mm-hmm. As we move into the early 80s and Palatoy sort of mirror Hasbro in their kind of a, a, adoption of the Star Wars scaling, Palatoy obviously also mimic Star Wars action figures in their construction and, and articulation, obviously. Um, and those initial figures, those 82 and 83 figures, were completely unique to the UK. You know, they were yeah. Palitoy originals. I take it his hand was pretty heavily involved in those figures. Yeah, he designed all of them oh, at wow. first of 12... I think yeah, I think it was twelve figures initially. Yeah, they um apparently yeah, they didn't know that obviously they'd had the link with Hasbro mm-hmm. from producing Action Man and G.I. Joe, but they didn't know that Hasbro at the same time were also producing a a three and three quarter inch figure line. Hmm. He said they only found out in the uh, uh, in January of '82 at Toy Fair, oh, both wow. companies turned up with their sort of wares, and it was like, "Oh, we're producing one to eighteen scale stuff too." Hmm. Obviously, Palatoy were had been were licensed to do the Star Wars stuff over here. Hmm. They so they were sort of set up to produce um, five point of articulation toys. Yeah, so Bob designed the the Action Force figures, and they got a an outside contractor to actually sculpt them. Oh, that's and, interesting. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, so they didn't... And same with the vehicles. That's one thing I wanted to know off Bob. You know the, the original Action Force vehicles, which were like the AF3, which was the Jeep? Mm-hmm. You know, that later became the Z-Force Jeep? Yes. And they had the AF7, which later became the Shadow Track. And the AF9? No, the AF, sorry, the AF5 was the shadow track. The AF7 was a diving platform, which later became the Q4 Swordfish. Mm. Do you know that one? And if anyone is scratching their heads at this point, I would suggest they head to Blood for the Baron, a website, effectively the United Kingdom's answer to yojo.com, where you can find images for all of the uh, vehicles and figures discussed in this podcast <laughs> i suggest you do it's it's a good resource very good blood mm. for the baron is very cool and also if you say it around people that know the series they kind of go blood for the baron it's weird <laughs> but they do that um well these people i've encountered that are action force fans um do you think all those vehicles are you know tasty nicknames came from somewhere i mean did he the, did you like ever ask him if they came from anywhere specific because i have a theory now but i would like to see if maybe 
what, what he had to say if you asked him that question. What those initial vehicles? Yeah, it's like like a shadow track. And, well, they and came. Yeah, they came later on. Oh, when, they were, were like, when they were initially designed, apparently that Bob wanted to downscale the vehicles he'd done for Action Man. Because obviously oh, right. that, that first range of figures were all sort of uh, real-world military figures, weren't they? You had the Desert Rat and the German Wehrmacht Trooper and a Royal Marine Commando, the SAS Trooper. And so he wanted to just do one to eighteen scales of, like we said before, the Scorpion and the Land Rover and the 105. Mm. But it was marketing that decided they wanted updated vehicles, like modern vehicles, which he, he said he thought it was a little odd. So they outsourced the design of those as well. All oh, right. Okay. I think, may, I mean, maybe to take the workload off. Of mm. Bob and his team, but yeah, they. I get the impression they weren't too happy about the choice of vehicles. But maybe marketing, yeah. marketing might have had in the back of their mind that they wanted to, sort of. Um, they wanted a progression with that line, to a sort of more modern sci-fi feel. Of course, mm-hmm. I mean they had a head full of Star Wars, of course. Hence the birth of, or the sort of the space force um, that Action yeah. Force had, and and the kind of the vehicles from that. The, was it the Triad fighter? Yeah, that was something uh, very Star Warsy indeed. And the Robo Skull, of course. Uh, one cannot fail to mention that beauty, which yeah, you know, is effectively a heavily modified Tie Fighter mm. Mm. under the hood, really. Um, yeah. but this... Well, both of those vehicles were sort of the second series of Action yes. Force vehicles. The first series were all remodels of those initial vehicles and then repaints of the G.I. Joe vehicles that obviously they made a deal with Hasbro to license off and incorporate into the line. I know you've got a soft spot for the Action Force Jeep, and thanks to you, Jim, so do I. Did you, by any chance, show him your work in progress? No, I didn't. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> I was, Did you I manage was to find out to. from him if he was responsible for designing that piece? Yeah, that's why I didn't bother showing him the photos. Oh, the okay. Because when he said that that's one vehicle I wanted to know if he designed. I see. I'd ask Chris, and Chris didn't know. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just ask so I wanted to get it, if he did, I wanted to get it finished and show him that. Yes. But Chris didn't know, so I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll show him photos if he says he did. But that was, that's when I found out that the AF3, 5, and 7 were all outsourced to another designer. Right. So he didn't really have his hand in it, which was, yeah, which was a shame because I love that Jeep. I love <laughs> that Jeep so much. <laughs> It's, uh, it is a bit of a sleeper hit. Anyone who isn't familiar with it, I suggest a Google search. Your initial impressions of it might be that it looks rather toyetic. The bright yeah. red parts are very bright and very red. The green is a very plasticky green. But there's something about the chassis, the design, the sleekness of it. It does have a practical yet futuristic... Uh, it, it's right on the crossroads there. And you saw the potential in this vehicle. And boy, oh boy, I don't want to give the game away, but uh, 
you are indeed working on something very special involving that chassis. You could say. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I do say. <laughs> <laughs> We're going for a, a um, let's say a long range desert group World War Two vibe to it, aren't we? Mm. <laughs> very practical. Very loaded for bear. Very loaded. And it's a perfect workhorse for it. Yeah. I think because you you said to me that you thought it looked a little um, Fisher Pricey, didn't you? Oh, I said that, didn't I? Yeah, true. <laughs> but when it's you, true. I, but when you, like, I, I first thing. airbrushed it, it really changes that kind of toyishness. I thought it's got a lovely, it's got a really sleek mm. wedge shape. You just got to take the the plasticky edge off it, you know, make it look like it's made out of steel, even though it's obviously not. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, something else that, that made me judge it rather harshly is kind of Fisher-Price-esque. Isn't the roof removable and doubles as a boat? Yeah, when it when it was the AF3 the first mm. time around, it came with with that boat that was built specifically for it. And it clips on the top as a roof and then you flip it over and it's a little sort of motorboat. And that later... Does it have sculpting in, in the sort of the recess? What, inside the boat? Yeah. Yeah, it has like a sort of... Um, a uh, Like a checker plate floor almost. And mm-hmm. I think it has. Uh, Does it have a wheel? Does it have a driver's position? I don't think there's a wheel. There is a, a little outboard motor that clips onto the back. Hmm. But I'm, I'm going from the... Uh, they incorporated it into the SAS line in that second series so I don't know what the initial one was like that came out with the first series which was the AF3's roof I'm sure it did I have to ask somebody who's actually had hands on with one of those you know what this vehicle like screams to me when I, especially when I look at the camo deco one the one that's got the black camo on it it definitely screams core but like 90s core it's, it reminds me a lot of... Well, it predates it, man. Yeah. That's Z-Force, baby. No, no, I, I, I hear you. But, like, what, what I'm trying to get at is, like, I know that Core has always been a competitor to G.I. Joe, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the earlier Action Force vehicles were maybe more of an inspiration. Because there's a lot of interesting design cues on this Jeep that, uh, and on the sort of famous Core Jeeps uh, that these two share. Like... The wheels are very similar, whereas these wheels are very different to, like, say, the Vamp in a lot of ways. The Just some of the, like, design cues. I, I, I don't know. If something tells me either uh, the core or Lenard was, like, inspired by this or the guy who actually made this vehicle went on to work for Lenard. There's just something about its design language that just translates to 90s core for me i'm not devaluing the vehicle i think it's actually very cool um i definitely find that when i squinted it i can appreciate it more because both color schemes that has been offered in are quite garish for me even though they are the right you know things to be military it's just yeah it's just a bit plastic here steven has gone on about uh, but yeah i i wouldn't be surprised if uh the core guy designed these and then went to work for lenar uh, Leonard, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's possible. Another thing I wanted to just mention, uh, in an interview, I believe it's with uh, Neil Gaiman, or Neil Gaiman, it's actually more correct, um, with Neil Gaiman, he was just talking about some of his earlier days as a, as a writer for comic books and uh, pulp, 
um, sort of pulp magazines in in the UK. Um, and he said it was very much a kind of you never ever you were never part of the family anywhere really. You you just sort of worked for everybody. You you try you, you almost wrote like seven or eight articles or stories a month for like seven or eight different publications. And uh, if you were like good at, at staying prolific, uh, it kind of turned you into a household name. And Marvel was apparently like that, Marvel UK. So I think that kind of culture was very embedded in a lot of um, sort of creative industries in the UK, because it's something that's very much like how it is here in South Africa. Um, in South Africa, it's strange. It's like <clears throat> a lot of the time, uh, the creative industry I know in the early days uh, when before like computers were used quite a lot, a lot of your artists, uh, you know, you had these huge teams of artists, guys that were drawing, guys that were cutting out, um, you know, uh, film and whatever to to use as masks and all kinds of stuff for like product shots for for magazines and whatever. Um, and those guys, you know, they, they used to work like dogs. I mean, they would work for for huge companies, but they would never actually be formally employed by those companies, you know, and they were always like guns for hire. And even today for myself, very few companies are going to employ an artist full time under their wing. I mean, they'll, they'll put us on the contracts and things like that, but yeah. And, and it's weird um, because in America, obviously, well, from what I know from the culture there in America, they, they're like, hire you in and they're like, they want you as part of the sort of family and in the furniture and whatever so it's just interesting to see the sort of correlation between Action Force and our industry here in South Africa and then the difference between sort of Palatoy and Hasbro. Mm. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> so has he, did he tell you anything juicy? Was there anything like cool, like this guy's face sculpt was based on this guy's brother-in-law who like did a backflip over three flaming barrels and that's why we used him for like this guy? Any stories like that that we, that we should know? Tidbits. Nothing quite about, no. I did ask him about the sculpting process because, you know, the figures themselves always, you know, they're a little, the the detail never seems to come out of the sculpt. And I said that when they do those initial sculpt, the very first one, is it, is it you know, is it a lot sharper? And he's like, it's a much more detailed initial process and they sculpt it out of wax. Mm. And then they make a silicon mold of that. Right molds, yeah. And then from that silicon mold, they then make a number of resin versions. Mm. So obviously the detail starts to go. And then from those resin ones, they then make a beryllium copper mold. Apparently he's got a ton of these resin heads from the original Action Force line. Priceless. Oh, wow. He just needs to start those on eBay every now and then. Like, <laughs> he did say, yeah, I said, well, so, you, so what have you got at home? You must have tons of stuff hidden away. And he says he's, he's sold it slowly over the years, sort of here and there, bits and bobs. But he said he's got about 40 of these resin heads still. Wow. wow. Yeah, that was my reaction. I wonder how much those things would go for. I mean, they are effectively priceless. They're one of a kind. And they're part of a beloved piece of toy history. But uh, it all depends, I guess, on on the buyer. I mean, who's prepared to pay for them? Toy historians with deep pockets. Yeah, I guess mm. so. 
Well, it's the same people who buy those um, two ups, you know, that we saw at JoeCon. I mean, those things were absolutely gorgeous. And yeah, but it's those people who essentially set the price. Think mm. about it. You know, you, you're going to get in this, into a bidding war with effectively just a handful of people, really. Who's to determine what the value of these things are? Hmm. It's kind of like those um, ah, those reality TV shows set in porn shops. Oh yeah, porn stars. Ha ha ha. I wonder. What, I mean, those guys wouldn't know anything about this stuff. I suppose they'd have to get in an expert, which they often do. But something yeah, I want to know. Okay, so you say that a lot of the detail in the action figures is lost, but just taking a look at the weapons that those initial Action Force Pally toy figures came with. The detail yeah. is unparalleled even today. Mm. Eat your heart out, Marauder Inc. Pally Toy was doing it back in 82 and 83. Those guns are perfect. I'm talking about the Heckler & Koch MP5. I'm talking about the Enfel that came with um, the Z-Force Captain, Captain Campbell. Yeah. You know, those guns are perfection. They are so finely molded, so accurate. And if you know, if you hop, skip, and a jump across the Atlantic and you think, okay, so Hasbro was producing, on the one hand, Snake Eyes' Uzi, which still holds up, Snake Eyes and Steeler. But then in the same line, you've got Grunt's M16, which, you know, <laughs> I think throughout the entire classic A Real American Hero run, they did several attempts at the M16. None of them quite proportionately perfect and sharp in their molding no yeah it always seemed like one that was really difficult to get a good version of wouldn't it absolutely get one that the figure could hold even yeah 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 one that was correctly proportioned um and 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 scaled proportionately and and yeah accurate to the real thing and look good in the figure's hands um compare that to Say the Colt 45 that comes with the uh, the SAS helicopter pilot. I mean, that is mm. the most perfect, sublimely scaled and proportionate handgun ever produced, like ever. <laughs> yeah. It's just a pity that, of course, the old Paddy Toy 5 POA guys could hardly hold their weapons because <laughs> their grips were so lousy. But their <laughs> weapons themselves were incredible. Did Bob have any insight into the process for creating those pieces? Oh, shit. This is the kind of question I should have asked him. Ah, it's all right, man. It's not like we supplied you with a rap sheet. But I just wanted to put it on record that those guns are incredibly finely molded. And anyone teetering on the the brink of perhaps heading up to eBay and taking a look at Action Force figurines, um, yeah just know that the the accessories are vitally important to appreciating the the care and attention and love that these figures received you know they're not going to be the most fun action figures because posing them is going to be a fairly limited affair and as fans of gi joe we all like posability and we all appreciate its its edge over the old star wars design but the guns are a standard of excellence that just rides above all other yeah, action figure accessories at this scale. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the Tommy gun that came with the SES Commando? Oh, yes. That's Did you lovely. see the grease gun that comes with Sparrowhawk? Oh, yes. <laughs> Dude, that is a fine figure. Oh, man. Working parachute Fantastic. and everything. Mm. 
and the backpacks as well. Yep. You know, these are sort of flexible, rubbery backpacks yep. with sort no of webbing pouches on the front. No yeah. back plugs, so everything was practical. The, the straps would loop over the figure in much the same way you would do with Crazy Legs' uh, parachute harness or ripcord. Um, mm. But these were like across the board. And also like what was cool about the fact that they were so limited in their posability was the the sculpts could then be more, they could push the boundaries of sculpting on the figures. So for instance, the Z-Force captain has essentially his web gear with sort of, what do you call them, butt pouches? Like, you know, when you wear your, your backpack really slung low along the, I don't know, what would you call that? It's a different way of carrying your gear. What, when it's just around? Just around the... the it's a waistline. Yeah, basically that. Uh, it's just a webbing belt. There we go. So as an alternative to a backpack, which, you know, it's it's a tasty alternative. It's something we could never achieve with the G.I. Joe um, O-ring construction because you would never want the figure to have any kind of packs around their buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> It would make that waste piece very useless. <laughs> I'm curious, well, just to hear about the perception of Action Force from our, our main man, Cujo. Oh, good job, Paul. I was wondering how we could tie in, my man, because <laughs> Cujo, are you, are, you, are you dreaming sweetly over there? Wake him up. Not quite. Um, <laughs> no, I was just kind of ch- chewing on what you guys were saying. Um, I think the gun that at least felt the most like an m16 uh in the joe line was probably hit and runs gun right i mean i know that's not an m16 but it felt like it i always thought it was kind of and i use this term often these days kind of mongrel like it's it's like it's kind of shortened but also made taller if you know what i mean it's kind of stretched vertically yeah so no um, i want to disagree with you there while i do appreciate that gun and I know that it's it's not... What is it called? Is it called the Colt Commando? It's like a 9mm version of the uh, M4 carbine. How, what right. do I know about guns? See, people people are going to crucify me after this. But... I think the Colt Commando is still a 5.56. Oh, is it? Oh, brand. brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the box magazine is a Nicely done. much narrower box than the... Um, you know, than the M16's magazine and the M4's magazine. Yeah, they were. Go- I think they were going for that, trying to get the sort of shortened, stumpier look to it. But some something went wrong. But then they they improved upon that subsequently, and this was a gun that came in the kind of the weapons tree um, <laughs> era of GI Joe. I can only recall it being in like hot pink and coming with payload. <laughs> you know, the the repurposed. Eco Warriors barbecue payload from Star Brigade. That's the first time I encountered this gun, and I immediately painted it black because I loved its look. And then the new sculpt era came with Atomic Stomp Flint. (laughs) Okay, nobody knows what I'm talking about here, but if Rob were here, he'd know. Atomic Stomp Flint came, he was the first issue of Flint in the new sculpt era, and he came with that machine gun. Rob's here. The Haunting oh, yes. of Joburg House. Are you here, Rob? <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, great Easter egg, bud. Great Easter egg. Um, uh, for those of you who didn't catch that, Haunting of Hill House is a great series. It's Moving okay. Right along, it's okay. 
Um, I, I had to Google something quickly. Um, sorry, we were talking about this fantastic Jeep, and I obviously had to give my two cents on this Jeep, um, you know, having looked at it. And in my, you know, as uh, I mean, as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm sort of scrolling through the Google images um, of, and I mean, this is what I typed in if anybody's interested, Action Force Jeep, you know, that's how exciting my Google search was. And um, AF3, I'm just going through- is it not? AF3, that's it. Or AF3. Z4 Jeep, uh, I think you could also come right. If you put in AF3, you'll see that original sort of, and then you didn't like the gr- the Z Force Green. The original khaki of the AF3 is quite nice. And it's just, but but it's so it's so weird how you know GI Joe's sort of contemporary, um, or rival if you could call them that, core shall rear its ugly head or I wouldn't say ugly head, well sculpted head. Um, if you're looking at more of them from the sort of later 2000s. Um, but there's an amazing playset. Sorry, and th- I know that this is completely off topic, but they've got this great mountain stronghold playset, which is in this Google search. And I've just looked it up, and it looks like a lot of fun. The and core. Yeah. Yeah, from the core, from the new core. Like, it's this, like, um, I just, and then I just clicked on it, and, I, and it took me to a store in, uh, in England, um, like a, a toy store, and I don't want to say its name online because... I'm kind of secretly hoping to try and get one of these core elite rock mountain strongholds. That's the full name of the product. Uh, but they also seem to have stock of the Elite Beast Bomber, uh, something that was heavily featured on one of Strident's videos. Um, and that's a very cool core vehicle. But there's also, and Jim sent me, Jim made me aware of this. There's something called the Core Elite Griffin Aerial Assault Craft. It looks like, it looks very similar to the uh, Helos, if you can call them that, used in the Avatar film. And wow, I really hope we get these in South Africa because I'm going to snag one of those. It's small enough to be safe. Uh, it's small enough to integrate into my collection <laughs> safely. Anyway, I just, uh, you know, it's just funny how the core just sort of sneaks in there and pops up. Uh, but well, yeah, check out this rock stronghold. Not, not to bounce that old English dude out, but uh, um, <laughs> did did you have any other like uh, thoughts about that conversation? Was that the first kind of toy creator you've talked to? Was it inspiring, or or how'd that go? Oh, good yeah, question. Yeah, that is the first sort of um, I'd call him the Godfather of Action Force. <laughs> so yeah, mm. the first. This it. I don't know how, how many have we got. We've got Hammer, Rudak, Cassidy. I'd put him in that bracket. So yeah, that was the first time I've ever sort of had a, a proper chat with anyone like that. Very nice guy. I was going to say, if anybody's in the UK, he's going to be doing a panel soon at um, at an exhibit at the original Palatoy factory as part of the, they've got a big exhibit on of Star Wars toys and he's going to be doing a, a panel talking about the history of Palatoy on the 10th of November. So if anybody's around for that. In Colville, UK. Look at Jim being good network. Uh, let me yeah. let me turn that on you. Um, what are what are you working on right now? What's uh, what's inspiring you creatively right now? I'm at one of those weird hiatuses where I've just literally finished that Red Shadow custom from this week, and I'm just perusing what to do next. Hmm. Oh, he's perusing for a custom oozing. So well, maybe white lightning, Kujan. Hey. Um, 
Well, I do know that your your creations are inspiring people to write stories and draw pictures. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Actually, I did get a nice helmet through the post not too long ago that I've put into the White Lightning work in progress box. Mm. That's, a, that's a good investment. Speaking of heads and helmets, it's with great amusement that I see your custom red shadow had an unmasked head, and that unmasked head was none other than Jan Pirovit, aka Peter Einder. Shameless subtle plug. (gasps) (laughs) That's a good looking head, and you did well by it. (laughs) Smoke hanging off his, his lip. And a scowl. Yeah. yeah that yeah. dirty blonde receded hairline. Looking hard. He just just fitted well with the red shadow body, I thought. He's the kind of bloke that'd sell his wares to the red shadows. Did Bob, I mean, did you manage to ask him, did he ever uh, give you any inclination as to what his favorite creation was? He was quite proud of a few things. Like, he said that, have you ever seen the action man... Um, special team stuff. Oh, uh, dollies. Um, jog my memory. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> and also perhaps describe it for for our, our audience, which might just be as layperson as I am. <laughs> if you look at the series one action force figures, you'll see the Arctic assault, the ground assault, and the naval assault figure. He's kind of the sort of near future infantry man design. Oh, hang on. You know that we're talking about the three and three quarter inch guys. Yeah, but they're. I thought we were talking about 12 inch guys, but yes, yeah, the I've got the Arctic guy from the first series. Oh, right, okay. Mm. So. With the fold out ladder in his backpack. Brilliant. Yeah. The special team were the 12 inch version of those. Okay. So obviously, because all the, the uh, Series 1 Action Force figures were all. Shrunken 12 inches. Yeah, they, they were like the 12 best-selling Action Man outfits done in three and three-quarter. So mm. that's how they chose those sort of seemingly random collection of figures. So you got like a US paratrooper uh, uh, and, and sort of a modern-day, yeah, and then a modern-day Royal Marine and then these near-future figures. They're all based on the best-sellers from uh. Action Man. Hmm. So the Ooh. special team were, yeah, was the inspiration for the your little Arctic figure. Oh. And he, and he spoke very glowingly of those creations, did he? Well, he, the, somebody else designed the initial special team, and then they left, and Bob designed the sort of final one, which was the, um, it's called the missile assault. And it's, I think, it's quite rare now to find it. Okay, this is the a twelve-inch figure that was called the Missile yeah. Assault. What was his gimmick? It was another near-future thing. It looks quite similar to um, something from the Tonka Spiral Zone. Oh, okay. <laughs> his main gimmick was it had purple camo. And this was in the seventies. <laughs> it sounds awful, <laughs> but like that, when you look at it, it's with... great. It's great. It's a beautiful figure. And it's got a backpack that's actually quite similar to. What I made for our boy Yan. So it's got like a missile launcher that clips onto the side of it. Wow. He just sounds ready, ready for a war drug. <laughs> 
I have never heard of this action figure. I've never seen it either. It's so it's it's a twelve inch figure with purple camo yeah. and a rocket uh, firing backpack. Amazing. Rocket launcher. Yeah. Take that, Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> if you couldn't kind of pin him down to a favorite, say, figure or vehicle, I'm going to turn the question on you, Jim. You know it's my favorite. You Out of it. the original Pally Toy stuff, mm. what really inspires you? What really like fires your imagination? Is there a toy that you perhaps had as a child and it was your go-to protagonist of those kind of initial five-point articulation guys? Was there a vehicle that, that uh, you had a lot of playtime with? Or was that kind of before your time? No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm old and crusty enough to have had been into the 12-inch stuff before. Oh, very good. Yeah, so maybe... Well, then it's a double-edged question. What's your favorite dolly and what's your favorite pint size? Oh, well, I told Bob this. It was the... There's an Arctic Warfare cadre action man outfit, mm-hmm. which... I absolutely, I, I used to love snow figures when I was a kid, anything to do with the Arctic. And this figure is fantastic. At least you get the proper like, winters up there. <laughs> exactly, as well. Yeah, we got to play with them properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no bed sheets for us. <laughs> oh, it's sad playing with your snow speeder on a bright sunny day on a perfect <laughs> green lawn <laughs> in between visits to the swimming pool. Like, oh man. <laughs> What was I thinking? Flexing those imaginative muscles. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, that Arctic Warfare Cadre one, I absolutely loved it. I had a Did it come with little... skis? Yep, skis, oh, ski poles, a uh, an FN Fal with a where the wooden stocks would be. It's white. And he had a oh, little wow. rubber field cap, some little green tinted goggles with an elastic strap, and a hooded parker. Uh, gloves, white boots, had white webbing. Lovely figure. It, it's easy to forget as an international that the UK cracked on, as you say, with the, the military 12-inch stuff. What was this, mm. well into the, the mid-70s and beyond? Oh, right up to 1984. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Take that, oil price. <laughs> <laughs> We're making our toys big. Yep. <laughs> yeah, they finished off with the sort of Space Rangers, which were sort of obviously the popularity of Star Wars meant they were sort of pushing sci-fi elements at the end. Did you migrate onto three and three-quarter inch action figures with some level of, like, uh, disdain? you could see the writing on the wall that like the old, I mean, the big guys were getting phased out. Were you all for the smaller guys? Did Star Wars have a kind of an impact? Did it warm you to, to the smaller scale and the kind of, the, I suppose the vehicles that could go hand in hand with the figures or were you still a bit like bitter about it? Well, I would say, nah, probably too young to be bitter. Oh, I still okay. love, yeah, I still love the 12 inch stuff. Even when this first series of action force came out, they re- didn't really float my boat to be mm. fair i was still into the 12 inch it's when the all the z force q force space force red shadows came out because obviously the um the battle action force comic that's what really gripped me drew mm. me in 
wicked marked employ. Nice. And the adversarial nature, I suppose, of Action Force coming up against the Red Shadows, I mean, that was something that was always going to be absent from the 12-inch stuff. You'd have these mm. awesome, awesome action figures, well-detailed, great gear, you know, yeah. practical cloth accessories. But no clear delineation on who was a good guy, who was a bad guy, what they did, who they fought, what adventures they went on, you know. Thanks to the media and thanks to setting up these kind of opposing forces, the play pattern kind of had more purpose. Thanks, media. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they must have. So, I mean, Action Man was sort of the, voted the toy of the decade for the 70s there in the UK. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, imaginative play back then, it didn't really require a, a, uh, an accompanying media to go with it. <laughs> oh, but, we've all been corrupted have we yeah maybe <laughs> Big time. I don't know maybe, maybe they just didn't like you say it's kind of hard to do a, a fiction to run alongside something like Action Man because it's all sort of there's no clear divide is there it's, it's down to the kid yeah the play pattern favoured every single action figure essentially being a protagonist mm. hence you'd buy one G.I. Joe or one Action Man and all you needed were to, to outfit him for his various environments or or mission profiles. Mm. You know that was that was your guy. That's all you needed, right? Yeah. Malibu action man. When it's hot in Hawaii, get Malibu action man. So let's talk about your favorite three and three quarter inch guy, Jimmy. Well, from that the initial. AF stuff. Mm. If it's got five points of articulation, it's in consideration. <laughs> that rhymed. Wicked. <laughs> oh, poet. I don't really know. Jeez, I, I, mm, I don't know. I guess, I, yeah, I remember getting the um, the SAS paratrooper Sparrowhawk. Mm. And he comes with that fantastic parachute, which is, I mean... Just the parachute rig and the web gear that comes with him is still kind of really nice looking. Yep. So maybe so. him, and, and there's just the the practical play you could have with launching that out of an upstairs window. You should, Ken. You're making me very remiss that I passed an opportunity to, to buy one. I saw one in person at like a retro shop in Brighton, mm. and I was like, hmm. That's cool, but I don't know if I'm going to pay 30 quid for it. <laughs> if oh. given the opportunity now, I probably would. Well, I've still got mine. Nice. And it's now strapped to a uh, Paraviper for my little lad to fling around. Nice. <laughs> yeah. we've, cool. up, we've upgraded him. <laughs> don't be scuffing Big. your Sparrowhawk. <laughs> Mind you, he's probably pretty scuffed already. <laughs> yeah, he's well played with. Nice. I think it's quite a shame that like companies like Sideshow, uh, and I'm not saying that they, they haven't made these things because they don't want to, but uh, I'm sure you know if, if there was a strong enough market for it, I would love to see a Sideshow rendition of uh, Action Force um, stuff. You know, like maybe, you know, maybe just initially started off with some of the Blood for the Baron, Blood for the Baron um, kind of dudes. Uh, I mean, and, and I know it's a hard sell because there are a lot of very good quality 
one to six scale military figures out there and companies that produce uh, highly accurate military one to six scales, uh, scale figurines out there. But they, there's a certain edge that Action Force has, and, and it would be great. In fact, the same character, character and characteristics that you find that make the 12-inch uh, Sideshow Joes so like desirable for people like myself, I'm sure it could translate into an Action Force line. I'm sure they're very much there as well. Um, and I would love to see some of the, the actual, uh, I don't know what they're called, the, the, the Red Troopers. The Red Shadows. The Red Shadows, thank you. I know that you've said the name, but my brain's like, oh, that's what they're called. Forget it. <laughs> you know? Um, but, like, yeah, I'd love to see uh, sort of sideshow renditions of those bad boys because they did such a cool job on the Crimson Guard, at least I think they did, and uh, and Cobra Commander that and the Viper, that I'd love to just see them do that. I think yours, I think what you did um, recently for that, that custom was fantastic, and, and it definitely shows a... A sort of a, a direction of where it could go, um, you know, where, where it could go if they ever wanted to sort of quote-unquote reboot or make an exclusive line or make a 12-inch line or something like that. Anyway, it would, it's just a, it's, a, it's a shame that we haven't seen that. And I'm sure the, the British fan culture is, is a strong one. I mean, if you look at the culture behind Doctor Who, your Whovians, and you look at... Um, like red who upheaval. Hey. So there's some who upheaval right now. I'm not gonna get I know, into it. I I don't know what it's about. I've been watching the new Who show. I'm enjoying it. I mean, be honest. The, yeah. the question that's on everybody's mind is when is the Action Force Funko Pops gonna drop? <laughs> yeah, because then you know it's legit. Then you know GI Joe. I mean GI Joe. Then you know Action Force is like real. Oh. Let's God. let's hope that never happens. <clears throat> where are we oh. where are we headed, gentlemen? Should we talk a little bit of GI Joe community? Hang on, hang on. One Alrighty. final question. Oh. Just uh, you know, jogging our action force toy memory. Uh, or yours, Jim. <laughs> Your Did you get it over in South Africa? Or place it. And yes, to answer that question, yes, we did. We did, but I, I missed that boat squarely. Mm. In fact, all my Action Force action figures are inherited either from my brother. I got the Action Force helicopter pilot, no accessories, uh, from him. And he now flies my um, Power Team Elite A-10. And then I got a whole whack of Action Force figures from a colleague at work who... He favored them over G.I. Joe action figures, which were actually being sold concurrently because he liked the fact that they were cleaner sculpts. He did not like mm. the joints. And something that occurred to me while you were talking about your uh, Sparrowhawk action figure was mm. these guys were durable. That classic Kenner Star Wars action figure construction is tough. You can't break the crotches. You can't break the thumbs. There's no O-ring. So... They're quite rubbery. I mean, you, you, you wouldn't feel nearly as precious about throwing him up in the air with his chute and having him plunge downwards. No. Whereas, boy oh boy, when I shot those sequences for the Atlantis Factor with the 
some parachute action with ripcord and airborne <laughs> yeah i made sure i cleared the entire field of play from any sharp rocks anything like that like those guys were landing either in water in long grass or in mud soft stuff so jimmy mm-hmm. favorite vehicle or playset kind of i'm gonna kind of collapse them into one category but yes of those original pally toy designs the mm-hmm. af357 the headquarters the robo skull the shadow track what's it gonna be brother um, the ATC. Tuss- oh, call that original Jesus. if you want to oh <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna have to go for the af3 the Z-Force Jeep. Very good. I Yeah, I partly because I do still love it now as a, you know, as aesthetically, but partly because I can still remember getting it. It's one of those lovely, nostalgic memories. I remember seeing it in the toy shop and I remember getting it from that toy shop. I remember taking it out of the packet. So... Yeah. Nice. yeah, and the driver was great as well. It came with the driver. Yeah. Oh damn! Was his name Wheels or something? Wheels. Yeah. Wheels. He was like the uh, the Z Force Trooper with the hood and the goggles and the cap. Mm-hmm. How did it differentiate design. from the Z Force Trooper though? I think there was just paint app difference. Because oh, right. the Z Force Trooper has, I think, a canteen and a knife in the small of his back. Wouldn't that interfere with him sitting in the jeep? Or was the seat nice and deep? No, you can still get, yeah, you can get a modern Joe's in that thing, so. Oh, brilliant. Okay, well, I will definitely um, not pass up on it if I see it again, because I did see one at JoeCon. It was in its box. I don't think it had its driver, but that's okay. I do have a Z-Force Trooper lying around at home. Hmm. Get it. You'll love it. Once you Mm -hmm. get your hands on it, you'll realize it's beautiful. And the rubber wheels, Steve. You're kidding. The rubber wheels. No. All the action force jeeps, vehicles, even the ones that were, you know, repainted GI Joe vehicles. What, the SAS Panther. Panther had rubber wheels. The, the Panther uh, has rubber uh, wheels. The laser exterminator had rubber wheels. How did they? The, how did they rubberize the wheels of a vamp? Because that's essentially what the SAS Panther is. It's a vamp in yeah. black. Well, they just. Re- I, don't, I don't know what the original vamp was like did it have a metal axle yes it did well that's how then they just replaced the axle and the tires put new ones on redesigned them so was it a rubber tire over a plastic rim no whole rubber wheel entirely rubber oh my goodness yes one single piece same with the ATC (laughs) placed all the wheels in rubber wheels that is hilarious Shout out to Bart Simon, who found an ATC at JoeCon. I inspected his ATC, but I mainly just dwelt on the interior. I did not flip it over and touch the wheels. Yeah, they swapped. Even Boys the and girls um... always flip over and touch the wheels. <laughs> Words to live by. Wow. That's a real eye-opener. I did not know that. All of a sudden, those vehicles have a new veneer. Oh, damn it. Jim... This podcast, man, at least it keeps me, keeps me, keeps my toy vistas alive. Just when you think you've 
kind of settled into your collection. You like you, you need nothing more. Then you have a chat like this, and all of a sudden, you hit that buy button again. New stuff. New stuff. Cool. Core action mountain. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> I've just looked that one up and it's a piece of junk, dude. Please uh, do not do not put that in your crosshairs. You do not have the space to waste on garbage I know, like that. But I just want to like add shit to it and dry brush it, but I know that I won't get around to it as soon as Paul, I want to. I there just, are real what? rocks in your in your yard. I know, but I can't put them on my shelf. People already think I'm weird with my toys. No, but you can go outside and play in the sunlight for a change. <laughs> I go out into the sunlight. The dogs want to play with my toys too, but they don't play with my toys the way I like them to. So, <laughs> well, they they don't have you know opposable thumbs, so they've got to use teeth. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I just want to put this out there. That is not a problem with most people, okay? But it is a problem when you're a dog. Kujo, hit us with the community, brother. Hello, Steven. Um, not too much. Uh, I think, uh, just off the top, uh, Inktober's going on. People that promote themselves do artworks, um, in ink. Uh, one of those people is Tim Doyle. Uh, he's got a pretty noisy social media, but it doesn't put me off or anything. I dig it. Um, I think at Nakatomi Tim. Is, is his uh, app, but he's doing a, a bunch of G.I. Joe Cobra artworks for Inktober. If you're not aware, now you are. Also, he's going to be at Designer Con. That's the next con I'm going to cover. Uh, I don't know what to make of it, but I'm hoping it's kind of like a unpretentious complex con, uh, if that means anything to you. But uh, he'll be there. I hope to chat him up. Maybe I'll break off a of file cards. Um, maybe Action Figure Junkie might make it if he does, oh, we definitely got a cross pass too. If you're in SoCal, um, come to DesignerCon. Say hello. Uh, let's see, what else? Did you guys happen to see the CoilCon vehicles from this last weekend? Yes. Uh, any? Do you feel any way about them? Does Night Force do anything for those molds? I'm going to look them up right now. Please hold on, uh, special news consultant Kujo. Kujo. Oh, no worries. Um, I'll just, just kind of dance around that. And I have a safe search. This is going to get interesting. It's just, uh, uh, if you're feeling Night Force, those vehicles might tantalize you. Uh, let's see. One of the people from Jonah that's uh, doing a hell of a job right now is uh, Full Force Podcast. Um, they dropped news first. I think he teams up with Justin Bell. And uh, they have some insightful chat and kind of definitely handle a lot of news that can get kind of downer-ish. Uh, about Hasbro, etc. cetera. Uh, cheers to them for uh, handling that stuff and uh, just being good media. If, you, if you're on the convention circuit, uh, keep uh, Action Force podcast uh, in your mind because they're, they're doing great promo work right now. I think Chris is actually going to have the real Bob Recon on to um, Full Force podcast not too soon. One, oh, like one, which is like the fake one. Well, yeah, no, no. My gibbering second-hand account of my <laughs> meeting with him, he's going to have the real one. 
<laughs> there you Way go. to go, Chris, for topping us. But Jimmy, I needed an excuse to have you back on the show, man. So this was it. A golden, golden opportunity. I always hey. love talking to you boys. You can definitely uh, waffle about or prattle on about uh, just about anything here. You have to go and kill a giant shark. You're like in this movie and this giant shark is terrorizing everybody and they need you to kill it, dude. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> I think that's it. Uh, appreciate the love from Rob on Twitter. Uh, thank you, brother. Um, and Merc is under the stars right now doing uh, troop movements and war games and stuff. So stay safe, brother. And we happen to be chatting a certain G.I. Joe subset that came out once upon a time. I just wanted to chat you, chat with you gentlemen about it. The G.I. Joe Blue Man group, I forget what the proper name is. But I'm just curious, uh, has history been kind to that? Like, have you, has, have you grown, grown more fonder of it? Um, you know, I only just got what you said now. Ladies and gentlemen, um, conversations that you may not be privy to. Sometimes we just have a bit of a pre-game, you know, so that we can, like, talk shit and say hello to each other. Talk poop and say hello to each other so that we don't let it bleed into the podcast. This is mostly because I talk a lot of rubbish. And Stephen likes me to just get it out of my system before we, we start the show. However unsuccessful I am. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen tries his best. But uh, we know that I'm a T-Rex. And uh, that means I'm the king of the lizards, baby. And extinct. That's not fair. I'm not an X-Man. Anyway, leave it alone. Um, because I have nobody come back to that. Anyway, so Cujo mentioned the Blue Man group, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, the radical sort of like, you know, performers um, that are in America that do these great shows with music and sound and visuals and everything. And then he was like, oh, you know, like, you know, who's your favorite Blue Man group, Joe, kind of thing, just so I could like think about it. And I'm like, oh, I'm like thinking of G.I. Joe's that like I would like completely like, you know, cast in blue. And now I realize he's actually referring to that set. That set I forgot about. That's mm-hmm. it. The one with, with Dusty, Bazooka. Bazooka and Firefly? I thought it was Hit and Run. No, you see... No, Hit and Run's in grey. You have to buy that set to get that awesome Firefly. It's crazy. Yep. Uh, what you're not privy to, Cooj, uh, is that there have been attempts... I might not be remembering his name correctly, so I might edit this out, but I think his name's John... Um, attempts on Facebook to salvage that set by <laughs> recoloring Bazooka's jersey slightly, adding some red to the uh, the number 14 and to his sleeves. I think this is perhaps a case of buyer's remorse, someone who has these figures in their possession and desperately needs to like kind of justify their place on the shelf <laughs> because... You know, it's bazooka in blue. It's bizarre. It needs some work to kind of get you to warm to it, I guess. I'm curious to know where this co- where this question's coming from, man. It's really left field. But for me, no, I've, I've, I'm never going to warm to that. In fact, I'm not entirely on board with that version of Dusty because I feel like it should almost be a different character. I don't know. Uh, uh, this is me being controversial, but like... It's more just kind of a quick fire. 
Uh, every once in a while, people will post their collections, and, and I saw the Blue Man bazooka, so I figured it's not a subset that gets talked about a lot. It's it's more notorious than anything, but curious if you'd warm to the aesthetic or anything like that. I'm of the opinion that, that I mean, people couldn't get rid of those fast enough. They were peg warmers, they were undesirables, you can still get them quite cheaply, hence they found their way into a lot of people's hands, and good for them. That's cool. If you found justification if you if you if you found the love for these this this set for those figures that's cool i'm not going to knock that but it's not something that i'd go out of my way to get because why <laughs> it it's it just makes me scratch my head it's a bizarre bizarre color choice and it really really mars those figures jim what you... say you was there not at one point an actual blue snake eyes oh yes personal favorite of mine there you go then <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the same thing though no i, I mean don't. i think snake eyes could could dabble into the, that kind of color palette simply because you know it still plays into those kind of dark midnighty hour before dawn kind of commando activities whereas dusty's creeping around the desert he's dressed in blue Hmm. It was maybe a callback to the sort of coloration of him in certain comic books, where black was done as dark blue, I guess, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I don't know. I, I, did, I, didn't know uh, I didn't know it would set the world on fire. This conversation would set the world on fire as it has. But I thought I'd just throw it out there. Do you possess these action figures, Kujo? Um, somewhere fly. is the answer to that. Hmm. <laughs> I just want that damn Firefly. I, I mean, I can't say it enough. I want this damn Firefly from this box set. And it like, drives me crazy that I have to get like two blue figures just to have this Firefly. I also can't understand what was going through Hasbro's brain when they did this. This must be a mistake. I, 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 can't, <laughs> I can't fathom. Like, I, I, it's just, uh, uh, why? There's like no appeal to it. It's crazy. Nicely you know, because I say, some people have found the appeal and power to them. I would understand this force if it was like somebody other than Dusty, because like I get it, Bazooka's like a blue balls toy. I mean, he's like the toy most people buy and they don't play with it, so it's got like blue balls for not being played with, you know. <laughs> but the, the Dusty figure got a lot of love, you know, in people's collections. So if this is like the blue ball set, it's like the the toys that you forgot you had that you really should play with, then yeah, okay, I get it. Well, every subset has kind of been expanded upon through like the custom sets and stuff. Like we just mentioned, Coilcon did that Night Night Force uh, Wolf and whatnot. Yeah, we mentioned it. We didn't delve into that at all. We were waiting for Paul to catch up on his homework. You mm. bastard. True. Yeah, did okay. you, did you lay your eyes on this? You couldn't. The only thing, on Facebook, the only thing I can cool. see is, uh, I think, Hooded, HCC. Uh, he um, had some pictures of them that he like sort of posted, and if it's the ones I'm thinking of, it looks like they they look like Night Force vehicles. Yeah, bingo. And that that's cool. That's like I thought they were cool. Can so anyone like, recall wow, a time when the Cobra Wolf was used for anything other than it being a Cobra Wolf? I can't think of a recolor for that vehicle ever. No. Well, there you go, baby. I mean, does it work or doesn't it, gentlemen? What are your opinions? I, I think it works, actually. Explain. 
Well, the thing is, firstly, it it takes it away from being just a snow vehicle. You know, kind of the same way recoloring, uh, doing the Tiger uh, Tiger Force uh, Tiger Cat uh, makes takes it away from just being a snow vehicle as well. It kind of opens it up a little bit to maybe being some kind of desert vehicle, maybe working at night. It's got skis, Paul. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like a desert vehicle, maybe? I don't know. Like, it, yeah. Uh, also, like, it can still be an Arctic vehicle. Uh, maybe it's just more like, you know, I'm not... it, 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 its special, speciality is to sort of, you know, make sure that it hasn't got anything behind it. So then you don't really see its profile against the dark black background. Maybe it's for, like, invading Alaska or something. I don't know. I'm not uh, put off by it, but I think it does present, if people are going to still be using the wolf mold and stuff for customs, somebody should do like a Northern Lights Force and just add some, you know, bright green accents on it and stuff like that. That'd be pretty tight. Hmm. Huh. I'm going to say that I like it, not because I want to reset it as a desert vehicle that is only going to be used at night, which... Happens to have jet engines, Paul. I don't know if that um, flies with yeah, your, I mean, your COVID, you know, you, COVID you, theory. I was, I, was, I was trying to pull out some kind of funny, you know, great reason out of my ass. But honestly, it just looks cool in black. <laughs> it does. Everything looks good in black, right? But in the case of the wolf, it looks like a James Bond villain vehicle. Because it looks kind of like a sports car souped up and given guns. So even the red accents work because it looks kind of sporty, you know? It's this super, you know, extremely fast jet-powered ski-mobile in black. Why does it have to have a, a blended color? Why can't it be audacious? And black is a pretty audacious color. Black with red highlights is a pretty audacious color to have in a snowy battleground. So it's it's all eyes on me. I don't know if it works in the night force setting specifically, but as its own thing, as a wolf in black with red accents, I'm down. I can dig it. Yeah. What other vehicles were uh, recast as night force vehicles? I think it's just the cat, the snow cat. Okay. Hmm. I cannot find an image of that yet, but uh, I like these bottle openers. I'm struggling. Yeah. I find images of these anyway. I don't, we don't have to labor it. Just thought we'd uh, draw some attention to it. I saw oh, them in I... my Facebook newsfeed. Uh, I'm, I'm part of part of a few GI Joe GI Joe groups, and it's been doing its its rounds. I I had the opportunity to meet uh, one of the organizers for CoilCon at JoeCon. Very nice guy, actually. He gave me quite a cool bunch of stuff. And, like, uh, when I say bunch of stuff, he just gave me a lot of, like, marketing information for what they're doing and, and all that. Um, and told me about some of the exclusive prints and whatever that they were doing. And I thought that was pretty cool. Like, it was really cool to see, like, the passion behind Quillacon and, and how excited he was. And then, you know, they've got, like, a whole brand that they're sort of building around with Quillacon. That's really exciting. So I'm kind of chuffed to hear that they managed to well not only get a wolf but then also get the snowcat mold to do something interesting with that's actually really cool 
um, it's cool to see fans doing this and keeping this this alive like that. Um, and have you guys actually seen any of the figures that they've done? These sort of, uh, you know, the the uh, I'm trying to see. I'm trying to think about what they're based on. I mean, she's totally based on like, I don't want to say Scarlet, but I can't always tell. But like, I kind of like the the vibe that they're going for here. It's very smart, actually. They look kind it's, of it's, Python Patrol, you don't they? Yeah. Yeah, but not as like uh, Garrett. Heat really Viper great. version 2's helmet. Thank you, that's what it is. Mm, Heat Viper yeah. version 2. Yeah, no, they're great. I'm glad that oh. uh, there are still not only um, exclusives in the post-fun pub <laughs> world, um, but also they keep the O-ring uh, tradition alive. Because mm. you know me, guys. Vintage or bust. You like them O-rings. I do indeed. I can't get away from it. I'd like to introduce a new segment. (laughs) It just came to me now. What is the nearest action figure you have to hand right now? Future? Give me one second, because I'm going to have to walk into a different room. Ooh. (laughs) Uh, I would That's not how the game say, works. You don't podcast with action figures around um, you? I was in the kitchen, so no, none in the kitchen, unfortunately. I, I think uh, my uh, Black Series white Mandalorian Fett, he's guarding my piggy bank. So that, that was the closest action figure. I hope he's been told he's allowed to disintegrate. <laughs> yeah. Protect that loose change. Jimmy, what is it, brother? Uh, well, does it... Squidgy Goomba from Super Mario can. Oh, of course it does. Such <laughs> your kids. Oh, uh, yeah, it's my little oh, lads. Nice. Hold on, I've just dug into his toy box and I've come up with. A, I don't even know his name. Oh, you can help me. Here's, here's a game. Guess the figure. Guess yeah. the figure. Guess the figure. He's part of Destro's team. Annihilator. He's purple and orange and he got a beaky face. Annihilator. Annihilator. Yeah. I got it. I got it in one. (laughs) Well, I've got an Iron Grenadier figure in my hand as well. Oh, snap. It's none other than Destro's general. (laughs) The delightful. What is this color? Fuchsia. Oh, Voltar. It's Voltar. Voltar and his awesome, awesome bird. Mm. Wow. Why did you bring Voltar up? <laughs> That's curious. No, bro. I guess it's because I was having a major G.I. Joe Nintendo phase. And Voltar is uh-huh. one of the bosses. Those of you guys who follow our YouTube channel will know all too well that in the week past, we released a long play commentary provided to us by Range Viper Rob, our buddy out there. Um, a long player commentary on G.I. Joe 2, The Atlantis Factor, a name very near and dear to my heart, <laughs> and a game very near and dear to my heart, in spite of it being the kind of the lesser known of the G.I. Joe 8-bit platformers. And just a lesser known 8-bit platformer in general, actually, surprisingly. But good fun, and if you are not familiar with it, Check out our YouTube long play. It's full of fun discussion and, of course, underscored by a very entertaining game that is entirely based on G.I. Joe. Or is it? 
Um, we poke at plot holes <laughs> because guess what? 8-bit platformers do sometimes have a semblance of a plot. And we just discuss the sprites interpretation of uh, actual toys. Which were the best and which were the worst. And yeah, just good times with uh, Paul, myself and Rob. Some beautiful sprites in that. I thought. Yeah. Let's see the boss baddies. Always fun seeing your toys in that kind of in another medium. representation. It is, yeah. yeah. Working yeah. within limitations. It's great. Paul, I shudder to think, what is the nearest toy to hand? I know you're probably absolutely swamped. I, I was about to, I'm so happy you asked this question. And just to be fair, I'm going to keep it to toys that I can reach that are within arm's length without me moving the chair at all. I have got, from left to right, it's not as many as you might think. I've got <laughs> Batman the Animated Series, uh, Batman from... Uh, what is that company? Diamond Select Toys. Uh, the original animated series one, not the Batman and Friends version. That's in the Batman Batmobile, but we're not going to mention that. I've got a version one uh, Storm Shadow, version two Storm Shadow sitting next to him. I've got a Croc Master vintage, of course. All of these are vintage. And a, a Hexagear uh, Girl. So it's from by Kotobukiya, and I don't know if she counts as an action figure because she's actually a model kit, but she's more like an, a toy. Um, and uh, yeah, and that's just what, what, what's in arm's reach, to be fair. Otherwise, I could go crazy and mention some sideshow figures and whatever. But uh, yeah, these are my toys I play with on my desk. Yeah. Nice. If you had asked me last week, I could have said, sorry, I could have said Quick Kick and Mercer in a Cobra landing uh and the Cobra Landing Boat. Uh, I, I never know what the proper name is for that. Um, you were 75% there. The Cobra Night Landing, buddy. Night Landing. There we go. And they were on a, spe- uh, like a special infiltration mission. But uh, I've been moving things around. So now they are out of arm's reach. <laughs> or should I say Steven's been moving things around. So now they're out of arm's reach. <laughs> yep. Me and uh, Quick Kick Snipples had some quality time. <laughs> Swing a little less, I swing a little more. You're still in Joburg then, Steve. I am. I'm here working on a very British production. <laughs> we finally got rid of our uh, <laughs> our English creative team today, in fact. Because we, we opened. Um, for, for those of you guessing out there, it is the production of Matilda the Musical, an adaptation of the Roald Dahl classic uh originally produced by the royal shakespeare company but was it 10 years ago no eight years ago 2010 i think is when it first went on and it's been playing on the west end ever since and we have just launched the south african international touring production of matilda uh and uh yeah we'll be taking it to a lot of the uh far eastern territories like singapore and hong kong amongst others so i'll be very unavailable on facebook since you you can't get facebook in china we'll be uh recording the podcast using qq instead of skype (laughs) wahoo can't wait wait. on our way out guys anybody got any uh new toys any new exciting news any any, anything cool they'd like to mention just throw into the cauldron on their way out i've got a birthday coming up in a few weeks 
so i gifted myself two cool things that are actually sourced locally i found them on bid or buy our our local uh, analog to ebay um the first is <laughs> The 1988 motorized action pack scuba pack or vehicle pack scuba pack, which I found mint on card. I suppose it's the best way to get one in hand because then you have the joy of opening up your minty specimen of this very commonly found uh, carded toy. Um, applying the stickers, which is always a hoot. And just ensuring that uh, yeah, you have the, the included flippers which or fins, uh, which... Uh, can be a bear to track down afterwards, so I'm told. I'm dying to actually try one in an open body of water. I dig Form BX257's channel, he's incredibly comprehensive, but G.I. Joburg likes to take things to the ocean. <laughs> no, not the bar, <gasps> chop. It's also my birthday soon, but I've been instructed not to buy anything that I really want, or anything for that matter, uh, until after my birthday. So I haven't gifted myself anything yet. Although I got to say on Biddle Buy, there is a Snake Eyes version 4. Yeah. Which you own. Uh, which I already own, but mine for some reason has a broken ankle and that's really irritating me. So I need to, to give me some uh, replacement legs. Ninja Tabby. <laughs> Ninja Tabby, baby. I got it right. You got it right. I also found a carded but opened, I mean, it's the card had been, I think the bubble had been cut so that the action figure could be slipped out. So I'll have no um, qualms about taking him out for my purposes. But as it was sold, he's shoved back into the blister. A Cobra Trooper. A Cobra Trooper from 1988. This is an Action Force card with a G.I. Joe sticker stuck over the Action Force. Whoa. <laughs> Do you recall this period, Jim, where you had the rebranding of the cards? I don't. I mean, I, I was I was just... What, when they started sticking G.I. Joe over the... Over, over the, the Action Force. Mm. No, I was just stopped buying figures by then. My mom actually told me I was too old. <laughs> it was a very specific period of carded figures that had the sticker. It was... Predominantly 1986 characters on the card back. Mm. So mainframe Xandar, uh, Leatherneck, you know, the, the 1986 was represented. And then you'd have some 1985 guys like, memory don't fail me now, oh, Shipwreck. So like, obviously figures that sold well were being sold on into this wave. And then you had some prehistory kind of figures, which had no place on a 1988 card back. But were there because, as I say, I imagine they were just very, very hot sellers and were being sold on into the late 80s. You had Storm Shadow version one. And you also had, as I say, this Cobra officer, which was just called Cobra on the back. And that was what set, I mean, this is the only kind of context I had for G.I. Joe initially, this card back. And... Um, because I encountered it with my mainframe figure, my lifeline, and my monkey wrench, and my iceberg. So when I saw this figure, the, the Cobra Trooper artwork, and it just said Cobra underneath it, I thought that was Cobra Commander. I thought that was like, okay, that's the guy. 
that guy with the dragon off running at me. <laughs> That's Cobra Command. I've got to find this dude. I never did. I guess it was in my stars, man, because it's on its way to me now. <laughs> they, are they definitely from the UK then? Our distribution hub, I mean, those cards were all labeled Newport Gwent. So it wasn't from from uh, Europe. Our vehicles came with um, three three file cards for the drivers. So we got English language, uh, Spanish, and I think French. Interesting. Mm. I've got a I've got a Phantom which comes from Belgium, and the three card languages, if memory serves, is Flemish, uh, French. And I want to say Dutch, but I'm not 100% sure. But I've got all three file cards for, uh, they call him, it's Ghost Rider. It's meant to be Ghost Rider, but they call him, I'll tell you now, Spook. Ace. <laughs> Spook Ridder. <laughs> Ombre is the one name. Ombre, Ombre, and then Spook Raider. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is that with a Y? That's with the IJ. Oh. R I J D E R. And then it's like, you know, actually, Wappen schieten net echt. I wonder if that's, I wonder if it's maybe German. I should ask um, my new German friend. I was going to suggest you ask half the battle Timmer, but yeah, of course, why not ask your new German friend? At the 147 on minute mark. <laughs> <laughs> It had to rear its pretty little head somewhere. <laughs> oh, boo. So I'm the only one with some new Joe toys winging their way to me. Actually, they're not winging their way to me. The seller's based in Cape Town and I'm stuck in Johannesburg. So I was like, eh, hold on to them. I'll come home eventually. Like I can Joe's in your hometown. Yeah. I mean, this guy, the guy I bought them from actually uh, supports the shows that I perform in. <laughs> The last time I bought something from him, he handed it to me in the parking lot after seeing me in a performance of West Side Story. Wahoo. Wow. Yep. It was that delightful ninja lightning cycle, which I then subsequently broke the front axle of in a live stream. Oh, dear. Which, to add to that story, is, is handsomely fixed thanks to Tamiya Cement. Go, go, Tamiya! Tamiya! For when you need two things to be together, they don't want to be together. Tamiya! Cute. You have got some more goodies heading your way. Yes, we do. Oh. We haven't. Kindly posted by my good lady wife the other day. Good lady wife. What do we owe you, Jim? Hit us with the digits, man. Well, we'll discuss it. Off the air. Yes. Don't talk money on air. Fair enough. Cool. So we got we got cool stuff. We got cool stuff in the pipeline. And it's don't coming. worry, dear listener, you will be the first to know right here on GI Joe Book. And I guess that's the walk away, boys. Mm. Mm. We didn't really have a poll. I suppose we can give it a rest. I, I have a poll we could do. Hmm. You want? Um, and it's based on on a Facebook post that you've made recently, Steve. It's the backpack of Storm Shadow version 2. What are those um, things on the back? I don't know if the options are going to be 
exhaustive. Yeah, no, that that is true. No one's suggestion seems to be adequate. And Kuj, if you're in the dark, buddy, it's it's if you've got a Storm Shadow version two backpack in mind, there are a series of like I suppose sticks or poles that are all mm-hmm. linked with a cord. The two at the top, and then they're thirteen below it. And there's a cord that seems to be running through all of them, you know, popping out the one side and into the other and uh-huh. working its way down. So essentially it seems like it's like a, a tent rod that you would kind of connect together to form one long pole. What uh-huh. is the purpose of that thing? I, I kind of know what it is. I'm just sort of letting... Well, put um, me out of my fucking misery, man. <laughs> Um, okay, when I say I know what it is, I know what it could be, and I know that it could be this for sure, because I've got a book on it, and I will, I'm just trying to find the book so I can take some photos as well to share with people. Um, because a lot of, like, ninja stuff is, like, super mysterious and whatever, and because they kept a, a lot of that tradition as vocal and not written, uh, a lot of the tools that they use are often, like, um, misused or misunderstood. Uh, but there's a huge belief that... Uh, well, not a huge belief, but the original ninjas come from a clan called the Shugendo, which are known as the Mountain Men. And these Mountain Men are often uh, referred to in myths in Japanese sort of folklore as the Tengu. You know, the guys who wear the red mask, the long noses, the crow demons, uh, Karasuman, that kind of stuff. Anyway, the the backpack, that thing, is very, very reminiscent of a... I want to say a ladder, but it's actually a portable bridge, if you can believe that. So it would be tied, it would be used to traverse um, over mountains. So it's kind of like it's a climbing implement and it's a bridge and it's a ladder. It's like all of those things. It's actually like a ninja multi-tool, if that makes sense. Well, then it links back nicely to our action force discussion because one might say that the ladder that comes with that snow guy from 1982 is actually a bridging tool as Very you would awesome. do if, yeah. you know if you if you're crossing an ice crevasse crevice <laughs> you said us <laughs> thank you Goose. Yeah. So, ladder i'm here for you i've well, learned we a lot i've learned a lot about our world lately guys a lot yeah such yes uh, Steve, sorry, you were carry- you were telling us, man. Carry on. Oh no, dude, I'm I'm done. I'm just saying, like, if that is a bridging tool on Storm Shadow's backpack, then the Arctic is it the the Action Force Arctic Trooper from 1982. Arctic assault. Arctic assault. Thank you, Jim. Arctic asshole. Uh, with his removable, extendable, fo- well, foldable ladder. They are both bridging tools. I think all those figures came with that. All three yeah, of a... those special team 1 to 18 versions all had it. Oh, and maybe it was okay. just an assault ladder. Oh. We'll never know now. <laughs> Your be. one and only opportunity to break the ice with Bob has been broken. Been wasted. <laughs> it's, it's weird <laughs> to have conversations like that. He is coming back to the village to oh, sort okay. out this exhibition, so I might get to see him again. Nice. I'll give you a list. Yeah. <laughs> Laundry <laughs> list. Get the opportunity. 
What was that story that you put me onto? Red something? Uh, what, in Battle Action From, Force? Yeah. Johnny Red. Johnny Red. Right. Uh, the pilot, British pilot. Yes. <laughs> you said I should uh, give that some attention. I still haven't. But I have a very fractured run of Battle Action comics. I think Charlie's War is the one to look at. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. I, I confused them. All the sort of ancillary stories that don't deal with Action Force never got any attention from me. I was like reading them exclusively for like Z Force content or SAS she content. Charlie's War. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I got Daredevil 3 to watch. Somebody commented on how it made them think of uh, Stephen LARPing Snake Eyes. So now I'm like, now I'm super intrigued. Now I want to watch more of the series. I want to see why this guy said that. <laughs> Thank you, Jim, for uh, relating this story to us. You're welcome here anytime, buddy. That's okay, mate. I hope it didn't, I didn't waffle on too much. No, no. We needed that info, bro. You are a man on the ground. It's such a random meetup, I suppose, it had to be. <laughs> We had to tell but it. did give us an important opportunity to talk Action Force and get some insight from someone who was there, you know, back in the day when these things were all brand spanking new. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's kind of made me want to collect a bit of action, man. Though. <laughs> oh dear. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> this podcast, it's had, a, it's having an effect. <laughs> it's, it's an evil, evil thing this you've created, you fuckers. <laughs> uh, you're all just too easily sold i'm afraid <laughs> we are. we're all sick that's why we listen to this stuff to get to basically build up the uh the nerve to hit by basically yeah we're just gigantic enablers gigantic. all right gents any f- closing remarks um I think I'm solid. Uh, it was good to uh, cross paths with you, Jim. Uh, always a pleasure to chat up allies. Huge. I think I might start working on White Lightning again, buddy. I, th- I think we got. So- I think we got a pretty good concept. Stay yeah. tuned. This is all news to me. So but don't worry, dear listener. If you're in the dark, you are not alone. Steve is there, right with you, in his Night Force Cobra Wolf. White Lightning. <laughs> Stealthy. Mm. Can I just say a big thank you to my wonderful wife for arranging that meetup with Bob and also to Bob for spending an hour and a half of his day giving it up and dropping some knowledge on a nerdy fanboy. It was fantastic. Thank you. Well said. And I think that's a great note to leave it on. Once again, thank you, Jim. Thank you, my boys, Paul and Cooge. I love doing this. Fireside chats with you guys. Highlight of my week. All right, listeners, this is Steve disappearing into the darkness. This is Paul entering the wilderness. Cujo out. And Jimmy creeping up.